think of a better place to be than right here at Calvary Baptist Church on this Sunday morning with you. Amen. And I want you to know that you're not alone in your search for a new pastor. We have four other churches in our association that we're praying for. And just like the Lord has a man prepared for them, eventually they'll find him. You will too. So we've come alongside you today to remind you we're praying for you. And God has a new pastor in store for Calvary Baptist Church. Well, I want to ask you this morning, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to share with you that uh, we still have a sort of a goal in all court County of all of our churches. All, imagine all, or envision all, all Corn County coming to Christ. And we can do that. We can, we can accomplish reaching every man, woman, and child for Christ as our churches work together and as we focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. That's what we're going to do this morning is focus on Jesus a little bit. And before we read the passage, I'd like to introduce it a little bit. Uh, I'll tell you about a man named David Phillips. You've probably never heard of him before, but uh, David Phillips, he hacked the airlines one time. They had this promotion where if you buy so much of a certain food in the grocery store that you would win or you could earn free flying miles. He got wind of that, he went out and he found out that you can buy pudding. And he went out and he bought, get this, over 3,000 cans of uh, chocolate pudding. And uh, actually, he, he, got, he said, well, I, I've won several miles with that, I'm going to buy some more. So he went upwards to 12,000 cans uh, of pudding. And he won, guess what? He earned a million and a half frequent flying miles. So that means he showed up at the airport a lot. And he flew all of them out in five years. So when they saw him coming at the airport, they saw, oh, we know who that is. That's the pudding guy, the pudding guy there. Now, if you're walking down the street and somebody saw you, what, what would they know you by? They'd look at you, oh, that's the... What would they say about you? There's a few figures in history. We could name them right off the cuff, and you would know readily what they're known for. George Washington. You know what he's known for, right? Yeah, yeah. Tom Brady. The winningest quarterback of all time except for last year. He's finally lost three games in a row, in a row first time in 20 years. Um, when I would say somebody like him, you know football and so forth. And then there is one guy I want to mention, George Foreman. What comes to your mind when you say George Foreman? The grill. The grill, yeah, the grill. That's what. <laughs> if I said the name Paul the Apostle, what comes to your mind? I think you'll be reminded today that the one thing that he wanted was to know Christ. He wanted to be apprehended, he wanted to apprehend that which he had been apprehended for. In other words, he knew that Christ had a grasp on his life, but he wanted to grasp more of Jesus. You have to admit, you know, there's more about God 
that you've learned since you were born again, you didn't know. You know there's some things as you grow in the Christian life, you learn more and more about God. So if the greatest Christian of all time, Paul, said that he needed to know him, then I guess we do too. If you would begin reading with me in chapter 3 of Philippians, and Paul has just gone through his biography in the first part of chapter 3. We won't go through all of that. But then he gets down to the nitty-gritty what he really is going to be known for for the rest of his life, indeed now, beginning in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here it is. This is what he wanted to know. This was his quest for life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pause now to ask that you guide us through your scripture today. And Lord, that we would come away from this message today with a, a, a desire to know you even more. I, I don't guess we'll, we'll uh, stop getting to the need to know you until we go to heaven. And then what we'll learn. So thank you, Lord, for Paul's life and his testimony to us. Help us to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So why did the greatest Christian in all the world want to know Jesus? I mean, after all, didn't he already know him? Did he not meet him on the road to Damascus? I don't think he'd be right this unless he had already knew Jesus. So what did he mean by he wanted to know Jesus? centuries ago there was a lady by the name of Madame Guion and uh, eventually she was exiled by the Roman Catholic Church because of her faith her deep faith in the Lord and she wrote books about experiencing God she was like the Henry Blackaby of the 1600s and 1700s she made a statement though she said, the highest call of the children of God is to enjoy God. Wow. The highest call of Christians, in other words, is to enjoy God. Maybe Paul would agree with that. He said, you know, I know Jesus, but there's so much more about God I don't know yet. And I just have this insatiable desire to know more about him that I may experience an intimacy with him like never before. I think Paul would agree with that. <clears throat> now, after all, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. A lot of folks, they treat Christianity like, well, I know Christ now. and Maybe I need to do some things to earn his approval and 
and so forth. They don't know you can rest and get to know him personally. And the more you know him personally, the more you actually grow in Christ that way. And God is meant to be enjoyed and not to try to earn your way to a higher plane in life. But I would say this, I think the more you know Christ, the more you can experience the abundant life that he so desires you to have. Amen? So maybe it's an abundancy that, that Paul was interested in. He, he knew that Christ had abundant life promised to him and he wanted to know more about that. I, I need to know Jesus more than I did the first day that I met him. Don't you? I think that's what the Christian life is all about. We'll spend the rest of our days here on earth, if you're growing as a Christian, getting to know Christ and know Him more. That you may know His will. You have to admit, even being a child of God, there's so many voices in this world, you're prone to go this way and that way, and you try to distinguish God's will. And, and the way you do that, of course, is prayer and God's Word and getting to know Jesus so you can know that voice. You know he said, my sheep know my voice, right? You can go to the Middle East today and you go to uh, the pasture in the water hole and about lunchtime all the shepherds meet with their sheep of different flocks of the same water hole and they're all drinking that water there and uh, the shepherds do what they do, have their lunch or whatever. When it's time to go, those shepherds one by one come over there and they make a little noise or they may call their sheep by name. They know them by name and one by one those sheep come out from all the other flocks. They know that voice. There was a man visited the, the Middle East over there one time and he, he saw that happening and he in recent years he said, yeah, I, I'd like to be able to do that. He saw a shepherd and he would just talk to sheep and they just automatically follow him. So I'd like to try that. So he's talking to the shepherd. He said, I'd like to try. I want to borrow your shepherd's garb and your shepherd's crook and I'd like to see if they'd follow me. So he put on the shepherd's attire and he went to the shepherd's sheep over there and he started trying to get them to follow. He even called them by name, Mina, Mina. And they, guess what? They all ran away. <laughs> they didn't know his voice. He went back to the shepherd and he said, listen, I, I'm so disappointed. I really wanted to try that. I really wanted those sheep to follow me. But you know what? They wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Won't any sheep follow me? And the shepherd said, yeah. The sick sheep will follow anybody. That's why we as children of God need to know Christ. So we know that voice. I guess sick Christians don't tend to follow Christ. They don't know Him as much as they should know Him. So maybe that's why Paul needed to know Christ more. He really needed to stay tuned to Christ. And the more he knew His voice the more he would know the will of God for his life. Paul didn't stop there. Next he said, and not only know Christ, he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. 
Well, there again, I have to question Paul if I was interviewing. Paul was sitting right here, and I was reading this scripture here, and I said, you're the greatest Christian, Paul, and I, I understand now why you need to know Christ more, but what, but you, you, you wouldn't have written that, and you wouldn't be, we wouldn't be reading this today unless you have already experienced the power of the resurrection in your life. I mean, how can you get saved unless you believe in the resurrection of Christ? About a little boy one time he was in the Easter play and he had the most pivotal line in the in the in the whole play. He was up on the platform there and he was so he was ready. He was he had one line to say and it was supposed to be uh, he's not here he is risen. So the time came he steps up to the microphone and he's about to say that he gets up there and goes uh, oh and he forgot his line. And the Sunday school teacher over here is over here whispering to him, he's not here. He is risen. He's not here. He thought he heard what she said. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He steps back up to the microphone. It's that greatest moment in the play, most pivotal line. He says, he is not here. He is in prison. <laughs> not in prison. He's risen. And because he's risen, we're not in the prison of our sins. Amen. Amen. So maybe Paul knew that he was still a sinner. Yeah, he's saved. He knows Christ. He's experienced the power of the resurrection. But he knows there is victory in knowing more about the power of resurrection because he knows that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises us from the deadness of our sins and helps us overcome sin and temptation in life. There's power in the resurrection of Christ. Did you know if Christ didn't rise from the dead that we could never repent of our sins? The definition of repentance, and I think... The resurrection helps to complete the definition. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't have repentance. You see, it means to turn from something to something. The Bible teaches when you repent, you turn from your sin and you turn to something. If Christ had not risen from the dead, you wouldn't have anything to turn to. You could never repent from your sins completely. You couldn't turn. You would have no one to turn to. But now Christ did rise from the dead. And that's the power of the resurrection, enabling us to repent of our sins and not only be saved, but to grow in our lives. And so therefore it completes the definition of repentance. We repent, we turn from our sin, and because He rose from the dead, we turn to the Savior. That's good news, isn't it? Or maybe Paul wanted to just be reassured about when he died that sure enough that he'd be raised from the dead. Maybe he'd like to be reassured if he's going to go through life living for the Lord and he gets to the end there and, and I just need to know more about that power of the resurrection. Is it true? Is it powerful enough to raise the dead? I share this message or this uh, illustration a lot at a lot of funerals. It's about a little boy. He's with his father. They're going down a country road. 
the windows are open in a hot summer day and a bee gets loose in the cab of the truck. And, and the little boy, of course, like us, we don't want to get stung. And he's just, he's just dodging that bee. And he tells, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee in here, there's a bee in here. <clears throat> and his dad takes one hand off the wheel and reaches over there and he grabs that bee in his hand. And holds it there for a minute. Little boy relaxes. Oh, thank you, Dad. I, I appreciate that. He, he, he notices his dad's still holding the bee. So, we going to hold that bee all day, Dad? <laughs> what are you doing? And then his dad did an astonishing thing. He opened his hand and he let that bee go again. Ah! Well, there the boy. He's flinching again. He's trying to dodge him. Daddy, what'd you do that for? What'd you let that bee go for? He said, son, he opened his hand, look in the palm of my hand, see that little red spot? That bee can no longer sting you and harm you, because there is the sting. Oh, death, where is thy sting? <laughs> Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he rose from the dead, therefore taking the sting of death, out of sin and death. Maybe Paul just needed a little reassuring power. Yeah, he knew about the power of the resurrection. Maybe he wanted to know a little bit more, perhaps. But it didn't stop there. I wish he had him, maybe. Because not only did he want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Preacher, you could have went all day without saying that. Well, we don't want to suffer, do we? No, no, no. But 1 Timothy 3.12 teaches thus that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. Fellowship the suffering. Maybe Paul wanted to be ready and willing to suffer for Christ. But it came down to it. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 1.5, the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and so our consolation also abound in Christ. I guess Paul was catching on to something. The more that he suffered for the Lord the more he experienced the comfort of God in his life. Maybe he saw that as a goal. He said, I, and everybody's going to suffer. You know that, don't you? All people suffer. But Christians are the only ones I know who suffer for any reason. I don't know why other people suffer. There's no consolation in suffering without Christ. So maybe Paul just wanted to make sure that when he when the rubber hit the road, when he suffered, he wanted to have fellowship. He wanted to know somebody had been there and done that. You take a lady, young lady who's experienced miscarriage, lost a baby. I preach a lot of funerals, and I preach I preach a lot of infant funerals. I've come to the conclusion there is nothing I can say or do to comfort that young lady. The best I could do is pray 
read God's word and get out of the way. But now you take another young lady who's been through the same thing. You put them together. There's a fellowship, men, that we can never know. Because they've been through the same thing. And perhaps Paul wanted, maybe he was reminded when he was kicked out of cities how that Jesus was kicked out of Nazareth. Maybe he was reminded that, that, that when he was in prison that Jesus was imprisoned and waiting for his execution. Perhaps Paul needed to know on his last day of life that Christ would be with him. Lo, I'm with you always. He knew his life was going to be poured out as well. Perhaps he knew there was power in the fellowship of suffering with Christ. Or maybe it was like this. <clears throat> maybe he wanted to be ready and willing to suffer, but not only that, maybe he wanted to be ready and willing to die for Christ. He really wanted to know when that day came that he would be able to stand up for Christ, but to know that Christ was with him. You remember the Hebrew children? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they, they were not going to bow down. They weren't going to be and weren't going to bow, weren't going to burn, as the song says. But they, they had made up their mind. Don't listen to that first if you want to, Nebuchadnezzar. And that he did. You know what Nebuchadnezzar saw? They'd have this resolve, even if <laughs> they weren't delivered. They were not going to, there was no way they was going to bow that. But they got in that furnace and never, you know, I thought we put three men in there. There's a fourth one, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. It'd be nice to know the day that we die that we really know that Christ is with us. And perhaps while we fellowship with him and the sufferings that we'll, yes, we will be ready to die. We'll be ready to suffer when we need to, if we have to. But maybe, just maybe, perhaps, Paul meant this. He wanted the fellowship, know more about the fellowship with Christ's sufferings, not only to suffer or to die, but to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. And I think the key word in this verse right here lets us know. I believe that's what it's supposed to be. Again, verse 10, Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Wow, what does that mean, conformable? Well, it means to be made just like. Does that mean that we need to be ready to die on a cross like Jesus did? Perhaps, but I don't think we could die on the cross uh, we just can't. That doesn't mean that you can die the same way Jesus did. You can't die for anybody else's sin. But what does he mean by that? Could it be that he wanted to be having the same Christ-like spirit? He wanted that same spirit that Jesus had when he went to the cross when he dies. Wouldn't that be the aim of the Christian life? To have the same humility and the spirit of Jesus Christ that Christ had while he was on earth and in his sufferings 
Anne Graham Lott, she, she pitched this uh, possibility of the imagination. What would have been like to be Simon to carry Jesus' cross, to be right there in the, the, the epitome of Christ's suffering? Or what it would have been like to have His cross on your back and feel Jesus' blood on your own skin? What would have been like if you were carrying His cross and you get closer to Calvary and that, that horrific scene of cross where you're going to die and you see the, the soldiers with the hammers in their hands? What have been like to you get there and they say, take that cross off, it's not yours. It belongs to Him. And I thought about that. I said, you know, we all feel that. It should have been our cross. And it was put on Christ. Our Christ was put on that cross for us. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. I gave it some thought, studied this verse here, and it really stumped me. You know, I was going to use this message tonight. I was going to really discuss it with you because Steve told me about how y'all get together with the preacher on Sunday night. You do stump the preacher. <coughs> Or stump the congregation or so. I told Steve, we're going to stump the devil tonight. But anyway, I don't have to do that because you're going to have business meeting. And I don't have to be here. So thank you. But anyway. <laughs> but I really did think about why did Paul need to know Christ? He already knew. Why did he need to know the power of his resurrection? He experienced that. Why did he need to know the fellowship of his suffering? And I thought to myself, if Paul, the greatest Christian, needed to know about the fellowship of Christ's suffering, then so do we. And my mind went to, where is this fellowship of suffering? And I thought about Jesus and the cross. I thought about that, that place where he suffered the most. I said, maybe we can learn from that. If we, so I want to invite you as we close this message in order to be conform more to his likeness, I want to invite you to the last few moments to fellowship with Jesus on the cross with me. Go right there when he's on the cross and you know he had you on his mind when he was on the cross. There are seven last sayings of the cross you've heard sermons on before. And the first thing that Christ said on the cross, there he is, perhaps in suffering anguish on the inside, but yet he prevails in that Christ-like spirit. And the first thing he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a goal for the Christian life. Could it be in Jesus' death he teaches us how to live as Christians? That's a hard thing to do. Forgive those who've done something against you. Nearly impossible if you don't know Christ, but if you know Christ, you have the power to forgive and release others. You know what he said next? He told that thief on the cross or that criminal, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Thank you, Jesus. Giving that reassurance from the day I die that I'll be with you in heaven. And then he says, Mother, behold your son. 
Why? Jesus takes care of his family while he's on the cross. He takes care of his mother. If I was on that cross, I wouldn't be thinking about my mother. I wouldn't be getting off that cross. But he takes time out while he's dying to take care of his mother. I posed a question to a group of veterans a month ago. I said, if you were on your deathbed and you knew you had five minutes to live, what would you say or do? And one of them honestly said, well, I want to make sure I was right with God. I said, okay. And I didn't, I didn't uh, say anything. I said, well, if you need to do that, yes, yes. Another one said, well, I'd like to be able to bless my children. I said, that's pretty good. I'd like on the day that I die, if I, if I had a choice, I might not have a choice, but if I knew I was going to live five minutes and I was going to die, I'd love the opportunity of one by one my 13 grandchildren coming in and let me say goodbye and bless them and making sure they was taken care of or taking care of mama and dad and so forth. I think if you know Christ and you've lived a Christian life in length, you ought to be able to not be worried about your own soul in the last five minutes of life. In fact, I don't, I don't recommend that. Now, deathbed decisions have been made, and I've led people to do that, but I wouldn't, if you haven't ever made that decision, don't wait till you last five minutes. You may not know you have five minutes. I'll never forget the day the young man sitting right there where Brother Travis is. I always heard stories about that. I preached the message here on salvation, and I saw conviction on that back row. And during the invitation, that young man got up and he just stormed out the door. I didn't know. I, I found out later who he was. And I found out later what happened. He got in his car and he went up that intersection and BAM! He was gone. I never did know if he was saved or not. But if you know Christ, certainly you need to be ready to die for him. Christ said this on the cross. He got to the point, suffering for our sins. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Like fellowship with Jesus for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. That lets me know that you really became my sin on the cross. That your Father would turn his back on you so that I could become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Teaching me from the cross. Maybe there is something with the fellowshipping of his son. <coughs> and then he said, I thirst. Imagine that. The river of life. The well that will never run dry. Says, I thirst. That lets us know that he really became a human being. He came down to become one of us. And that he did. And then he said, I like this. The sixth saying on the cross while he was dying, he knew something had happened. And he said this line, it is finished. It is finished. What's finished? Whatever was needed to be done for us to go to heaven, to have our sins forgiven, that we might be saved. It was done right there on the cross when he said, it is finished. Paid in full. 
Thank you, Jesus, for giving us that assurance on the cross. What you did was all that's necessary for us to go to heaven was to trust in you and your work on the cross. Not my works, his work. Then the last word. Can we learn from the fellowship of Christ's sufferings on the cross and his last word? I will say this, that Christ's last word on the cross in his death is the first word that you say in your new life in Christ. The seventh and last saying of the cross is, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Thought about that? How, how do we learn from that? I thought back in 1973, my mother led me to Christ. Got on my knees and prayed to receive Christ. It was then and there that I committed my life. I actually said, you know, I didn't say that exactly the way Christ said, but what I meant, yes. I put myself, that's what you do when you get saved. I trust my life. I put it totally in the hands of God. There's no other way to be saved but to put yourself in hands of God through Christ. So I want you to know that I use that line at every funeral. You know, we have the service, and then we go to the cemetery, and we have the committal service. And I've got to a place in my funeral where I say this every time. You know, the best example of a committal is when Jesus was dying on the cross. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's what we are doing today. Coming here to the cemetery. All that you love and all that you know and all there is about your loved one, we commend to the hands of God. And many times I know that person was a Christian. And I'll do a little addition. I say, you know, that commitment was made a long time ago when they gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> It even helps me when they're not saved, too, because I don't know what to say if I don't know they're saved. All I can do is put them in the hands of God. Amen? <laughs> That's all I know. It's in His hands now. But they're a Christian. That committal was made a long time ago. So there you go. When I die and at my funeral, you don't have to preach my committal. I want you to know I've already preached it. And just in case you weren't there, and I know you went there. I'll just go ahead and preach my committal right now. Father, into my thy hands I commit my spirit. There. You don't have to preach my committal. It's done. And you can live for Jesus after that. That's why Paul wanted to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's suffering, that he might live for Jesus. You have that commitment today. You placed your hands, or your <coughs> life in God's hands, and you turned to him through the cross, the resurrection of Christ. You made up your mind to know more about the gospel, as Paul did, the greatest Christian 
If he needed to know more about the gospel, then so do we. We'll have a word of prayer, and after that we'll have a time of invitation. And uh, let's go to the Lord. Would you stand this time? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to worship you on this first day of the week, recognizing the fact that you rose from the dead. Lord, it's my prayer again that as we looked at your scripture today, that if there's one here who needs to know Christ, who has never met him, today is the day of their salvation. But that includes us too. If we know you, we still need to know you, Lord. And from time to time, we make recommitments. And maybe this is a day for some to, to make that. I will know more about Jesus. I want to know more about his resurrection. I need to know more about the fellowship of his suffering. So Lord, bless us today in this time of commitment. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.